This is hot. Uh, my name is John. That's my brother Michael. You guys know that. I just have to say that to like prepare myself. Um, yes, we're originally from Syria, and we uh, moved to the United States about almost five years ago now. Um, we went through like so. We grew up in a Christian home. My parents were uh, leading the church, so we like those are like very first memories when we were kids and young, and so we had to accept Jesus as our savior at some point of our lives. Otherwise, would be no dinner. No, I'm just joking. But like, uh, so yes, we accepted Jesus as our savior at different time for lives, and since young age, like I remember, I was nine first time I like played music for the church. Um, we started like leading worship and playing music for the church, and uh, God put down our hearts. And Michael joined later, started playing the guitar, and we've been leading worship throughout like the high, middle school, high school, and some of the college back home in Syria. And we enjoyed it, we loved it. And when the war happened, um, we had to escape to Lebanon, where immediately, first day, we found a great church and great community who opened their doors and had us like come and join to play and lead worship and which was a sign from God that like I can use the talents and we just felt like the Lord opened the door even though we like had lost everything we had no we had nothing we had no instruments no guitars nothing and um, God bless us with that but when we came to the states um, it was hard and because uh, we knew nothing about it we knew like we knew we didn't know any song so that was really a challenge for us. We but didn't speak English. We didn't speak English. So we, we learned like we eventually. We spoke a little bit, just a bit. So just hello, bye. I, I, still, I still remember uh, in 2014, you know, like I'm not like that. I'm, I'm Christian. I love the Lord. But I'm not like that kind of guy who walks around and says like, oh, Jesus spoke to me today. The Holy Spirit talked to me. But you know when the Holy Spirit talked to you, it's real. It's authentic. Something like changes you. So I, rem- I've, I remember... It was a Sunday morning in January 2014. We were at our home church right now in Milwaukee, and I was sitting in the congregation, and I was like, Lord, you know my heart is worship. You know, like, I love leading worship. Not because of the stage. It's just my talent, and I like to serve you with my, through my talents. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me as I was overwhelmed, sitting, hearing all these beautiful songs, the beautiful worship, but I had no idea what's going on. And the Holy Spirit clearly spoke to me and said, that chapter of your life is over. I'm preparing you for something new. And I didn't really realize what it was, but I knew that the Lord was going to provide and open more doors to lead worship. And we're really grateful that the Lord today has provided opportunity for us to be here with you. And 
worship with you. So thank you so much, and thank you for the pastors and everyone who like help us to be really honored. honored. So thank you, yeah. Pastor Dave. So this morning we're experiencing the Holy Spirit through this amazing community. Thank you, Pastor David. All the pastors invited us. Uh, I want to just circle back a little bit and talk about Syria quick here before I give it back to Pastor David. Um, so as John said, we grew up in Syria. The war, the war changed everything. Um, persecution was very minimum before, before the war. But during the war, we experienced um, some pers- persecution. Um, we had lost some friends as well who were uh, kidnapped and killed by um, uh, terrorist groups just because they were Christians. Um, and the church, it was very tough on the church the last seven years, I would say, in Syria. And despite all of that, um, um, there are a lot of people who stayed who didn't leave. A lot of Christians left, but there's still a good chunk of them that they are still there, even under the persecution and under all the hard life circumstances. So this morning, as I stand with you here, I'm really going to ask you uh, to pray for the church in Syria. There are a lot of churches still going, still running, despite all of the persecution. They are church, there are churches that are really threatened every morning that they would bomb the church or something would happen. But still, there is faith. There are people that are working there in the community just so the name of Jesus Christ would be lifted high. And this morning especially, I want to uh, just ask you guys to pray for my parents, my, both of my parents are pastoring a church right now. My dad is a pastor, and he stayed in Syria after the war. He was one of the pastors who stayed, and, and he's there back home. We think of them every day. We talk to them every day. In fact, on our way here, we didn't notice, but they called us. You know, We were just on the navigation all the time. Um, and, and just as one body, there is no difference. One day, we will meet them. We'll be on the cloud with Jesus Christ in heaven and the church is not divided. It's not the United States and Syria, other part, parts of the world. It's one church. It's the bride of Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you so much for having us. God bless you. I want to add one part to their story, if you don't mind, forgive me, but they shared it with me this morning, and it was about their first experience coming to the United States, because I asked, of all places, how did you end up in Milwaukee? (laughs) And they described that first experience coming off a plane. They were in Lebanon. The passport was, was about to expire. The window was closing. It was really the, these, these God-ordained events between a Wednesday and a Saturday or a Sunday, I believe you said. Within a couple of days, they had to leave Lebanon like that and come in to the States. So their parents told them to book a, a flight into Chicago. And they described what it was like because they looked on their weather app really quick. And all they saw was the sun. But they didn't take time to look at the temperature. They just said, oh, it's sunny. It's warm. Because, you know, the United States is warm, of course, especially especially if you think California or Florida or places like this. And then the airport doors opened. (laughs) And he said, the 70-degree difference between my body and this world we've just stepped into, and you stayed. So let's give him a hand for staying, you know? to what you said earlier. Thank you so much for leading us in in this time today, for just being the presence of God here today and, and, and speaking his words to us. He asked if we would pray 
for his, his mother and his father who chose to remain in Syria because they didn't feel right leaving their flock and the believers despite the threats and the persecution. And I really want to encourage you this week, lift their parents up in prayer. But I'd like to pray for your parents right now as well, if we could pray. God in heaven, we come before you on behalf of every persecuted Christian, every Christian who lives under the threat, the threat, Lord, that you lived under. God, we pray for the church in Syria, that they would shine, that they would shine, and through their sacrifice and through their testimony, that hearts and lives would be changed, even of the hardest of hearts, the most violent of people, the most difficult of circumstances, Lord, that this this area that was just ripe with your spirit and message, that these Christians would be bold in their testimony as the apostles were and emboldened even in the midst of suffering. But Lord, we pray your protection upon them. Legions of angels to surround them, to hide them when need be, but to let their message shine too, despite it protect John and Michael's mom. And Dad, even as we speak, if believers are meeting on this day, protect them, God, from, from all of it. You are holy and you are good and you are mighty and you are powerful to save. You are the God who saves. Deliver them. Deliver them, we pray. Amen. Last week, we talked about how what is so central to this God that we serve is the idea, the reality that God speaks. That God is not a mute idol. He's not a philosophical idea. He's not an impersonal force, but he's an an actual personal being, and he has something to say. And that something is so Important. I shared with you last week a passage. Let me just put it up here again for you. I love how Hebrews has to say it. The word of God, God's message to you, what God has to say, it's alive. I love how you put it. It's not just a story of 2,000 years ago. It's alive. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged blade. It penetrates. It pierces even to the point of dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. God's word is on the prowl. God has something to say to you. And I have met so many people who so desperately want to hear from God, or at least so many people who say they want to hear from God. Because let's be honest, sometimes when God talks, we don't like what he has to say. But there's something that transcends that, isn't there? We want to hear from God, but it gets so hard, doesn't it? It gets so confusing because we find ourselves at times going, is that God speaking or is that just me? Is, is, is that God showing me something or am I reading into something? And, and I think we often find ourselves fumbling around a little bit, trying to discern, trying to figure it out, trying to go, God, is that you? And what am I supposed to hear from this? Well, today we're going to look at a very specific way that God talks. 
and it's through signs. It doesn't take long reading the Bible to see that God communicates through signs all the time. And the Christmas story itself is kind of interesting because if you go in looking for it, you're going to find that it is chock full of signs. I mean, from beginning to end, this story is just, just immersed in God communicating to his people through signs. Now, if you've never read the Christmas story, and first of all, I need to clarify this. I'm not talking about Ralphie and his BB gun, all right? Um, if you read the actual Christmas story, you can find it in the Bible, in the New Testament, in two places. It's in the first gospel called Matthew. It's the the two opening chapters, it's Matthew 1 and 2. You can find it again, put, put in different ways in, in, in another gospel called Luke. Luke chapters 1 and 2. So when you look at Matthew 1 and 2 and you look at Luke 1 and 2, you get the account, the event of how God communicated to these people back then on the just eve of his Messiah coming and the story of Christ's birth. And what it's all about. I want to encourage you. Read the Christmas story. Take a couple of minutes. It'll take you ten minutes max to read both of those sections combined. To read that story again and and let God speak to you through it again. If you don't have a Bible, pick one up on the way out. Get Bible Gateway online or go to the YouVersion app. All of it will be great tools to help you. But read the story for yourself. And as you do, I encourage you to look for something. Look at how much God communicates to people across the board back then through signs. Let me highlight. It starts in the temple which, of course, is nothing more than one big gigantic sign from God of his presence among his people and his future promise. And we meet a priest, a priest named Zechariah, who is qualified, shall we say, to serve at the temple. And so, in the custom of the day, they kind of throw lots. They take lots to see what priest is going to serve in the temple that day. And the lot comes to Zechariah. Is that random chance? Or was God in that? Is that some kind of orchestrated sign? And you find Zechariah in the temple and he's, he's burning the incense and he's saying the prayer. And it says an angel from heaven appears to him. So, of course, a sign from God, uh, of God's message. And, and, and this angel starts to communicate to him about what's about to happen, about the Savior who is about to come. And he tells Zechariah that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby of their own. Own and his name is going to be John, and he's going to go in the spirit and the power of Elijah, preparing the way for the Lord. And Zechariah does what I think is like just so natural in any time that you get a manifestation from God. You're like, Well, how can I have a kid? He's old, his wife is old, and she was never able to have children when she was young. And I've always loved God's sense of humor. Because what he does is that the angel says, fine, you're struggling with this one? Zechariah, you will no longer be able to speak. Boom, mute. You will not be able to speak until your baby is born. And there, right there, then he goes mute. 
He's given a sign, a validation of the angel's promise. And he goes out because, of course, he's on deck, right? And he's standing before the people. Like, we're kind of standing here before you today, except he can't speak. And everyone starts going, it's a sign. It's a sign. What has God done? What has Zechariah seen? What was revealed to him that's left him speechless? He finishes a service in the temple. He goes home. He sleeps with his wife. And against all odds, she becomes pregnant. And they're given this sign, this baby, this miracle, pointing to the promises of God and all that God had to stay, to say. It says that she, Elizabeth, went into seclusion for about five months. The angel shows up again, this time to Mary. Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Read the story. Mary's, huh? And the angel begins to expand on this promise. This promise that God made long ago that his coming one, well, his coming And she is going to be the one. She is the one chosen. Chosen to bear this child. Chosen to give birth to this son. And she's trying to wrap her mind around it. How can this be? Mary asked the angel. For I'm a virgin. And you know what the angel does? Gives her a sign. He starts telling her about her relative, Elizabeth. Arguably a relative she knew nothing about. She knew nothing about this pregnancy or what God was doing there. Going, your, Elizabeth, your relative Elizabeth, who's like 180 years old. Your, 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 your relative Elizabeth, who couldn't have kids. She's going to bear a son. It's a sign unto you that God can do the impossible. If God can do it through her, God can do it through you. And this baby John becomes a sign to her. It says she goes, enjoy, looking for her relative Elizabeth, I guess breaking the the quarantine she was in or, or whatever you want to call it. And it says as soon as she saw Mary... Elizabeth's baby leapt in her womb. And you know how Elizabeth read it? As a sign. A sign from God. A sign from God about what was going to be not only for her son, but for Mary's son as well. Sign after sign after sign. Fast forward with me. We're with the shepherds keeping watch in the fields by night. How does the story go? And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You know what Linus has to say. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people today. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a... Right? It's right there. And this will be a sign unto you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths. Not in a home, not in a palace. 
but in a manger. Eight days later, Joseph and Mary take this baby to the temple to dedicate him. And, and there you find this prophet, this, this seer, this, this old man named Simeon, who, who the scriptures say were, was waiting for the consolation of the Lord, for, for the Lord's chosen one to come. And on seeing the baby, he does what every mother hates. He scoops out her arms without even asking. And he starts prophesying over it. Prophesying over this child a sign, a confirmation to Mary and Joseph and all they heard and all these angels had to say the Christmas story is laden with sign. And I haven't even gotten to Matthew yet. That's just Luke. Add Matthew in the mix and you have angels appearing to Joseph in dreams, giving him signs of what's to come and about Mary's condition and how it actually isn't because of her cheating on him on the side, but something miraculous from God. And then Matthew starts quoting ancient prophecies, a prophecy given to Ahaz so long ago about how a virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, a promise given to Ahaz as a sign of God's deliverance. You have magi, magicians. I mean, they're, they're, they're actually professional sign readers who see a star and see it as a sign. And they come to Jerusalem looking for this Messiah to be born. Jerusalem is an uproar. The scribes are pouring through the ancient texts. They come across these passages from Micah, ancient signs pointing the way to the circumstances of what was to come. Angels start to appear to them. God comes to them in dreams. And they're given signs to not go back to Herod. And Mary and Joseph are given signs as well to go into Egypt. Are you getting like the sense of this? They are Everywhere, signs, signs, everywhere are signs, right? Blocking up the scenery. What's the next line? I don't even know how that song goes, but yeah, we're, on the, we're, we're tracking together. Do this, don't do that, can't you read the signs, right? God is a God who communicates through signs. And I think of that last line of the song, can't you read the signs? You know, the reality is, no, I can't. I mean, I can understand them after they've been given and after they've played themselves out and someone connects the dots for me and goes, oh no, you see how God was pointing to that? I can get it after the punchline's delivered. But have you found yourself in the midst of it going, is this a sign? I can't read the signs, at least not well. At least not all the time. I find that I struggle with this more than I seem to get it because I think, at least for me, let me just talk for me, the signs are often confusing. And i got to be straight up. This is like a great comfort to me because when I read the Christmas story, I find out I'm not alone. It was confusing to them too. 
when you read through Luke 1 through 2, when you read through Matthew 1 and 2, keep your eyes kind of peeled for this about how much people struggled to get the signs. I mean, an angel appears before you. It doesn't seem clearer than that, does it? But what do you have Zechariah doing? I don't get it. How can this be? Come on, connect the dots for me. This doesn't make sense. He's confused even in the midst of a manifestation from God. Okay, well, maybe Zechariah's like, you know, he's... That's Zechariah, you know. Mary's the same way. I mean, we're talking the mother of God here. How can this be, she says to the angel. I don't get it. I mean, I know there's something happening here, but connect the dots for me. I think of those shepherds going to that manger that day, filled with wonder and awe over what's happening, but not really knowing fully what it means. No, I found that while God communicates through signs, signs can be a very, very confusing thing. And it makes it hard, doesn't it? When we sit here knowing that there's this God who is desperately communicating with us, who has something so vital, so important to say to you, trying to hear, trying to discern, but not really knowing what it means. I've come to find that while God communicates through signs, signs are never enough. Ironically and interestingly, I think this is why Jesus was like so anti-sign. It's fascinating to me. It's a strange, like, ironic paradox that he is given signs left and right, miracles and displays, and John, the Gospel of John, will even call his works signs. And yet, when Jesus is asked for signs himself, he says stuff like this. Check this out. Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it because signs by themselves are never enough because signs are just what their name implies well signs and signs point to something do not enter it points to something don't go in there warning falling rocks or deer It's pointing to something that might happen over there. No, signs are hints. Hints of something more. And it's like Jesus is getting on the scene going, you're looking for signs, but i got to tell you something. I am the sign. Why are you looking for hints when you can settle for clarity? And I find that what signs do, while powerful tools in the hand of God are always hints to something more. Not a message that's final in itself, but a message that's pointing to something more. A greater message, a greater revelation, a greater clarity. 
something so desperate that God wants you to hear and see. The message of his son in word and in deed that he is desperately communicating to a world in need. I love this passage that comes out of Luke. I want to share it with you today. It comes out of Luke 16, and Jesus is telling this parable. And he says there's this rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury. And at his gate was a a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And that even the dogs came to lick his sores. It's like every day he saw him, but didn't actually see him. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us, And you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Now, key in to what happens next. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, if someone were to go from the dead to them, they will repent. And this is what Abraham has to say. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. God has given us so much of what he's been up to in this world, so much of what he has to say. And I find so many times we find ourselves desperately looking for signs around us, confirmations from God, validations, other things he might have to say. Those things are right, those things are reasonable, and those things are good. But if it does not begin with some level of faith, some trust in who Jesus is and what he has to say, No sign in the world will ever point the right way. Because above all signs, Jesus is here in the midst. The one to whom all signs inevitably point. God has something so important to say. 
And you're going to find clarity of that in his son. This is what the Christmas message is about. There's so much we can talk about signs here today. So many ways of trying to discern them and figure them out. But for time's sake, I simply want to leave you with one piece today. As you look and listen for what God is showing you and what he might have to say, make sure you're looking at Jesus and not at a thousand other things that just might distract you from what God is saying. So I want to invite you to rise today. Mike and John, if you do want to come back up and start plugging in, I'll start leading them through this. I don't want you to hear me wrong. God is trying to say something to you. He's trying to lead you and guide you and nudge you and impress things on you. And he's unscrupulous about it. He'll do it in thousands of different ways. But ultimately, it's to lead you to his son and all he is and all he has to say. I want to ask you this morning, where might you be missing that? Where might you be deaf? Where might you be kind of doing the, you know, the five-year-old, because you don't want to hear what God has to say. We all do it in our own kind of way. And he just invites us in that place to come to terms with it. come to terms with the way that we're, we're avoiding, distracted, not listening, blocking them out. I just want to invite you to pray for a little bit here today, to come to him in that place. And maybe as we do this, let my words guide you in what you have to say. Lord, you're speaking. But I might not be listening. You're speaking, but I might be missing it. You're speaking. But I'm looking for something more or beyond your one and only son. forgive me here in this place touch my ears Lord give me ears to hear give me eyes to see what you are doing and what it is you have to say draw me to your son 
May I give my life to him. May I learn from him and become like him. May I hear again the message you speak. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we have heard your voice, but we have hardened our hearts as we did during our time of testing in the wilderness where our fathers tested and tried you and for 40 years saw the work of your hand. We have unbelieving hearts that turn away from you, our living God. We are hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Do not be angry with us. Though our hearts always go astray and we have not known your ways, Forgive us and give us faith. May we share in Christ, hold firmly to the end, and enter your rest. Amen. Hear what God has to say. I have given my son to die for you. And for his sake, you are forgiven. You have been washed clean in his blood. Though you are hard of heart, though you are rebellious, though you are deaf, though you go astray, I've called you as my own. I call you to be my people. Come follow me and hear all that I have to say.
Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Guys, have a seat.